I'm already lightheaded because I'm so uh, nervous. Nervous. Yeah, we should all just take a, m- a little moment before the show, you know. I am. Calm ourselves. Get ready. I am legit nervous. Chris, you don't get nervous. Come on. I don't normally get nervous, but I, you got I, this. I don't know what it is, but every now and then, for me, it's, well, yeah, no, I'm, we'll see if I make it through the episode. I'm pretty nervous. I probably might be stumbling all over myself. You got this for me, Wes? Oh, I'll do my best. You just jump in. Come on, you're a pro. No, no, I know, but... Uh, it's like it's like getting in a new relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it but really we all is. get to watch. It really is like there's a commitment. There's a huge commitment that goes on for a very long time. You will have to stay with this thing through good and bad. Uh, all right, let's just start the show. So I'm too. I'm just gonna sit here and be a nervous wreck. I'll just sit here and dwell on it. No, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hello, and welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's being co-hosted by someone who's totally composed and really has their stuff together today. My name is Chris. I always do. My name is Wes. <laughs> what about me, though? I'm saying me. You always do. Wes, I'm just going to let you take over if I go off the rails. But before we go any further into the show, which is I'm super excited about today, we have some huge news, but we also have a great topic. I want to give a shout out to both Mr. Cheese and Alex. Hello, gentlemen. Hey. Hello. How's it going, Internet? Hello. Hi, ni- hi, nice to see you. And then I want to say time-appropriate greetings to that virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello. Ho, ho, ho. Hello. Hello to Brent and Al. And uh, I'm going to say Stinky Karate? Techmav and Turth. Is that stinky? Is that I don't a- even want to know because that's too good. Okay, yeah. Let's not let's not fix it. Uh, for my def- my defense, that screen is across the room. Oh, and Techmav just joining in there, right there at the end. Hi there. Oh, and Carl too. Well, hello. You guys are the best. Hello, everybody. Good to see you trickling in. We have a huge show today. I'm very happy to have you here. Let's start with some community news. There's some items that we want to cover. Recently, Linux has been getting a hard time for its low memory handling. Recently? I mean, haven't we complained about that for years? Okay, well, forever. Um, But, I mean, just like recently, I saw two different people writing about how Linux falls apart in low memory situations. Particularly, these are server workloads where it's something that is just a massive load that is unexpected. And and then even once you recover the memory, the system still never really comes back Mm, to its full, yeah, to its full performance, I suppose. Well, that may soon be a thing of the past, Mr. Payne. This is some good news. There is a project that has been started by an individual. I'm going to let you try to guess that pronunciation. Bastien, what do you think? I think you're spot on. You do not. You do not. You, you're just <laughs> going to let me take it. I see how it is. I see. I'm on to you. Anyways, he's working on a project that's very similar to Android's low memory killer, Damon. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just last year, Facebook released something similar. We talked about it on TechSnap 377. They're out of memory, Damon. And the idea is just try to try to be helpful. Don't totally rely on the kernel. Here's a little Damon that can look for, monitor, expect situations where there is this sort of system and memory pressure and then fire off signals to let applications know, hey, if you have memory that you can give back to the system, now would be a great time to do so. Sort of seems odd that we don't have that. I guess we've always just relied on the kernel to go kill things. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) we needed this, you know, someone in the middle to sort of pass the note. Hmm, yeah. So, I, you know what, the only thing I think this is lacking is uh, deep integration with systemd. (laughs) Oh, just wait. 
<laughs> okay, well, while we're talking about like performance and stuff, I I just had to squeeze this one in too. It appears that Fedora is switching to the BFQ I.O. scheduler for better responsiveness. This is something that I've toyed with on and off. If you've ever experienced some odd leg in your desktop UI when you're, say, hitting your disk pretty hard, this is something that BFQ, I, I, I have been led to believe, can make a big difference with. However, I've never really noticed a massive difference myself in when I tested it. Well, you know, there's some interesting quotes here of some numbers. Under load, BFQ can load applications up to 20 times as fast as any other I.O. scheduler. Soft real-time applications like video playback, that can benefit too if you're, you know, stuttering while you're trying to write a USB drive. There's some interesting benefits, although if you already have a super fast NVMe drive, well, yep. this isn't enabled for you. There's no point you're already too fast. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Because my main my main OS drive is MVNE, but then like my large storage disk, some of them are still spinning rest. So yeah. maybe it'd be useful there. It is nice. I mean, this is one of the things that many interested sort of super users have been tuning, tweaking, playing with. Kind of neat to see Fedora actually adopting it, making it more mainstream. Okay, well, let's talk about something that everyone on the crew is very excited about, and that is the Pinebook Pro. Pre-orders have been, well, there's been like one window already, Cheesy? Yeah, so there was the initial window um, where if you were a forum uh, member and you had been for the last three months, uh, then you could get in the pre-order queue for the first round. Ah. Um, now they've opened it up so that anyone can get into the queue. Um, you don't you don't have to have been a forum member for X amount of months or anything like that. Uh, 199 bucks. They're coming a long mm-hmm. way on the machine. Um, it's a little different than the original Pine book, obviously. Uh, it's a magnesium alloy casing. Keyboard's supposed to be a lot better. Not supposed to have that flex like it did before. Uh, an NVMe adapter for it, so you can toss an additional NVMe drive in there if you want to. Um, but, you know, it's it's gotten a lot of attention, and I think that it's going to be a really great little machine whenever it comes out. I'm waiting on mine to ship. I think they said toward the end of October is when, when I'll uh, receive mine. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, hoping that um, none of our American politics will affect me getting my Pine book because <laughs> I'm going to be I'm going to be uh, very frustrated if that happens. I want an unboxing video yeah. from you. I want a full cheese rundown. Yeah, I'll do it like unbox therapy for you. I'll be honest here; I've never really followed the Pine book that closely. I just love a quick, too long, haven't followed. Like, what is it? Why should I care about it? So it's essentially a single board computer that's thrown inside of a laptop. Um, it's, it uses the rock chip 3399 SOC, which is a pretty powerful, um, SOC, a little bit better. Some may argue a little bit better than, uh, what's in the raspberry Pi. The Pi four. Yep. Uh, four gigs of DDR four, um, IPS display, uh, 1080. It does have a hardware, uh, a switch. Um, the, the firmware in the keyboard is programmed to disconnect, um, Bluetooth and wireless. Mm. Some say that the way that they're using their kill switch for their radios is actually better than, um, say, other other distributors like the way Purism does it, um, where it's not necessarily a mechanical switch that could break on you. Um, I think they're still working out a few kinks as far as, you know, if you turn the radios off and you put your machine to, to into spin mode, getting back out of suspend mode and turning the radios on is kind of an issue right now. But um, essentially what it is, is a single board computer put into the housing of a laptop um, mm-hmm. with four gigs of DDR4, a pretty powerful CPU, 
something that in theory, if they get it down to what they're talking about, which is like 0.25 watt draw um, on suspend, um, then, you know, you, they say 100 hours of battery life, but, you know, I would just be stoked to get a good solid or solid eight or 10 hours out of it. Worth noting, USB-C charging and the screen mm-hmm. size 14.1 inches. It'd be a great little remote machine. Mm-hmm. Man. It also has video out over USB-C as well. Mm. So that's, um, that's nice. there's some demo videos out there that Lucas has recorded um, that I can link to in the show notes for people to go check out. It does play uh, Quake 3. And so what's the price on that? Is it like... $199. Wow, that's pretty great. Yeah, it's very exciting. And this time it's a, it's an even better, that's why they're calling it Pro, with that magnesium casing, that IPS display. Uh, it's pretty compelling. That's, I'm, I'm very excited to hear what you think of it, Cheese, because uh, if you like it, I may end up ordering one. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And I think, if anything, it'll be a great little companion machine to take along with me whenever I go to these conferences or, or our sprint or anything like that. Um, a little bit lighter. I'm not really concerned if, I mean, obviously I don't want anything to happen to it, but I'm not overly concerned if something does. Hey, over on the Linux Unplugged website, linuxunplugged.com, we have a blog you can click at the top of the site. And Cheesy just posted a summary of some of the fun things we did during our team sprint a couple of weeks. The JB Summer Sprint, we had our Full-time staff and full-time contractors all came into the Seattle area, and we worked on a lot of things, some of which you've seen in the extras feed, some of which we're about to talk about here in just a minute. And I'm, to be honest with you, I'm, I am more nervous than I, I think I've been in 10 years about this. Um, and I really encourage you to go check out this post because Cheese did a great job of capturing some of the moments that were so great about the sprint. Wow. Like the, the, the shot of us working on the ferry while we're, while we're having a team meeting all in person for the first time. Yeah, that was great. On a ferry boat going across uh, the, the, the uh, Pacific Northwest. It's just. I mean, the only challenge so was you had to not just get lost in the scenery floating on by. Which did happen from time to time. Like you can, there's a few shots of cheesy in there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and our trip out to uh, the Diablo Outlook, where I learned how to do uh, night photography for the first time. And talked my wife into driving up and down the side of the mountain so I could get a picture, a long, a long exposure picture of her headlights. Hey, and it worked it, out. It did, didn't it? That was a lot of fun. You both had radios and, you know, you were stood on this overlook radioing to Hadia saying, no, wait, wait, wait. And then you miss the button. You say, oh, just, just turn around, honey. You know, it's no problem. <laughs> Brent, you were a great mentor and uh, handled uh, my noobness with uh, much, with, with much ease and uh, kind gloves. I thank you. Well, you're welcome. You were a great, great student. <laughs> hardly, hardly. But I managed. I managed. Anyways, it was a really nice write-up. Um, and the sprint was more than just about creating some new stuff. It was also about us getting a chance to hang out together. We did that, including uh, going out to the ice caves and some epic drone shots of uh, the ice caves in there. hey you. Let's check that out. Yeah, that was pretty good. Okay. All right, now. There's a moment that uh, we've really been building time. towards. Oh I know. God. This is, we make news this week. This is still part of the community news because this week, a well-known podcast network in the open source community is launching yet another podcast that is totally free, handcrafted, and built just for our audience. I'm very excited. Alex, do you want to say it? Do you want, come on, Alex, say it. Say it, Alex. We are launching a new show called Self-Hosted selfhosted.show the teaser's up right now because we're filling out the RSS feeds and we're really excited about this in fact so excited that we're holding a uh, launch party coming up next weekend 
our buddy Wendell from Level One Techs is joining us at the meetup. And Wendell's going to join us for episode two of Self Hosted. That's great. We've already recorded episode one. It's in the can. It's going to be premiering on September 12th to celebrate the one-year anniversary of Jupiter Broadcasting joining Linux Academy. It's our birthday, and you're all getting a new podcast. So selfhosted.show slash subscribe. If you just want to get the RSS feed, so as soon as episode one goes live, you've got it. And then keep an eye out for episode two. We're going to travel to Wendell's lab and uh, get in a conversation with him about why self-hosting matters. Yeah, so Chris is going to fly out to Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where I currently reside. And we're going to take a road trip through the North Carolina mountains up to Kentucky over the weekend, Labor Day weekend. Um, yeah, it's an incredibly exciting opportunity. I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited and really looking forward to the future with you, Chris. I am too. You and I have had a chance uh, over the last couple of years to get to know each other pretty well. Uh, we we met at Texas Linux Fest and then uh, at Linux Fest Northwest. Alex had a packed talk. The room was all you know, standing room only talk about self hosting, about getting control of smart devices on your LAN, about standing up services for your family and friends, or even business. And it was really, really well received. And afterwards. We started talking and saying, there's a show here. There really is a show here. And then we really refined the idea at this year's Texas Linux Fest and started working on it hard. And we've been working on it for a little bit because we really wanted to think about all the different ways we could do a show like this. And we wanted to come away with something that's the essentials of what you need from a podcast like this. And we're not anti-cloud. I think that's going to be an important aspect about the shows. We're pragmatist. Really, for us, self-hosting is about controlling your data. So if there's a way to intelligently leverage the cloud, maybe with encrypting your data or some other means, we're absolutely going to talk about that in the show as well. Alex's day job is OpenShift at Red Hat. So it's a huge part of what he does on a day-to-day basis. Huge part of my entire quote-unquote Linux career. Um, one of my other projects is LinuxServer.io. And one of the most popular articles on that website has been the Perfect Media Server series, which is something I started writing in 2016. And this show really is just for me a way to pay it forward to all those who have helped me along my journey, but also to bring in a whole new swathe of people into self-hosting services. I think with the privacy implications of of giving all your data to Google and Amazon and and all these big companies that, you know, the time to self-host has never been more prevalent than now. And the tools have never been better. Like that's what's blowing me away is we've had some resources now to have decent hardware and decent systems and experiment with different things and have time to deploy things and learn things. And it's been eye-opening for me this last year with Linux Academy. You have been converted to containers. Like it's it's been a fun journey to watch because I've been listening to the network for a long time now. And you've been talking about Docker on Coda with Michael for years but I knew you didn't use it because I could just tell from the way you were talking. But now you do use it, and some of the stuff that Wes is doing, you know, on the back end with hosting all the sites and stuff, like you just talk about it like a giddy school kid, and it's just wonderful because, like, <laughs> you get my enthusiasm for this stuff too now, right? Oh, yeah. He really does. Well, and you and I have been discussing a lot about taking the smart devices that you get that the vendor drop support for and reflashing them or using things that just have plugins for them already uh, and and building up infrastructure. We're going to very early in the series on self-hosted, we'll just cover a few fundamentals too, like um, 
port forwarding, reverse proxy, and the tools we use to do reverse proxy right, just so we have some of those fundamentals as well. That's all going to be in there. Very, very, very excited. It's going to be a twice-a-month podcast, selfhosted.show, launching September 12th. And if you're not familiar with who this Alex guy is, check out Linux Server IO. And also, just released um, three or four minutes ago, extras.show slash seven is a chat with Brent and Alex, and you can meet Alex and his journey from Apple to Red Hat and from London to Raleigh and uh, becoming a podcaster. It's it's like some great background that you, I think you'll appreciate. So if you're curious about uh, one of our new podcast stars, check out extras.show slash seven, a new brunch with Brent. You cheeky monkey. You didn't tell me that was coming out today. Isn't that nice? Well, I figured <laughs> you guys had such a great chat, and what a great opportunity for people to get to know who you are a little bit because they hear you contribute to the show, but it, it's... Like, we know you as a fully actualized person, right? And we know your wife, and we know your your background, but the audience doesn't. And Brent is such a, a great conversationalist. It was just such a good opportunity for, I think, even people that are tangentially interested in what we might be cooking. Go meet Alex. Extras.show slash seven. Brunch with Brent should be its own show. I'm just saying. I heard it here first. <laughs> Start the campaign. Well, that's nice. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Alex and I had a great conversation. Um, I listened to it three times already because I have the, um, you know, I might have it in my back pocket before it gets sent out. So I just keep enjoying the heck out of it. So Alex, thanks for sitting down with me and having a chat. And I think the audience is really going to love it. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. Now, selfhosted.show. Again, the teaser is out. The feeds are getting populated now. It's selfhosted.show slash RSS if you just want to pop it into your podcast player of choice. Episode 1, September 12th, our meetup with Wendell this weekend in Lexington, Kentucky, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Join Wendell, Alex, and myself at Goodfellas Pizzeria. Big thanks to Elle for booking that one. She picked this one out, and uh, it looks fantastic. Uh, one final plug, if I may. It's the new hashtag that we're using. I want to make this into a, you know, a two-way conversation and not just Chris and I talking about stuff. Um, we've got a hashtag we're going to use, so you can use it on Twitter and or Telegram. Um, AskSSH is the hashtag. There you go. Ask SSH and then ask your question away. We'll try to work it into a future episode. Uh, we do have a couple in the can, and then we'll work them in. I am so excited. And today's episode of Linux Unplugged is on theme. It's really about self-hosting. We're, yeah. I decided to recently self-host my password database with Bitwarden, but some of the guys on the show are using the hosted option, so we'll talk about that as well. So this sort of on point. Um, and then those kinds of things and a lot more from the self-hosted show once it kicks off. It's real now, Chris. We can't back out now. It's real now. I know, I know. We've been working on this for so long. We really we really wanted to be intentional and um I, I hope everybody likes what we've come up with. I feel like it's I feel like it's fresh, it's good, it's an important topic, and the area is getting so interesting. There's so many great free software projects out there right now that you think take all this time and effort, but really it's all manageable. And with just a couple of pointers or a couple of lessons we've learned, it's you're off to the races. So Lots of potential. Now, um, I have something else for us before we go any further. We need to talk about OggCamp because that's also coming up really soon. October 19th and the 20th isn't that far away if you need to plan no. for travel. And believe it or not, OggCamp is now 10 years old this year, which is amazing because I remember when OggCamp started. That makes me feel like I've been around for too long. Uh, but if you've never been or you've always gone, this seems like a pretty good one to go to. October 19th and 20th. I'm going to see if I can see if you think I see what you think of my pronunciation, Alex, of these, okay? At the Manchester Conference Center in the 
Pendulum Hotel near Piccadilly Station. Wow, very good. How'd I do? It was so close. So close. <laughs> Hello, Poppy. Hello. Which one did I, was it? The uh, It was the Piccadilly Station, right? Yeah, it kind of went off of Piccadilly, <laughs> yeah. but that's fine. <laughs> Um, so anyways, Ogcamp, ogcamp.org if you're interested. And Joe had a real quick chance to sit down with Dan from Ogcamp to give us a little taste of what's coming. And uh, we'll be right back. So welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you very much for having me. So you're here to talk about Ogcamp. What is it? Where is it? When is it? Yeah, it's uh, so OddCamp is a uh, free culture and free software open source uh, bar camp kind of hybrid. We call it so. We've had some. Uh, it's a it's a UK event. Um, it's been running for ten years. So this is our tenth anniversary this year. So it's quite a big one for us. And uh, we've got uh, four different tracks. We have one kind of scheduled track with some speakers on there. We've got some interesting stuff coming up with uh, Andy Stanford Clark and uh, Roger Light are going to talk about Mosquito, which is a project they created together at the first Odd Camp ten years ago, which is still going. And it's been quite popular in uh, in you know uh, IoT kind of embedded fields as well. So that's cool. Um, it's uh, yeah. So it's coming up in Manchester in October this year. It's our tenth anniversary. As I said, we're going to be at uh, the Manchester Conference Centre, uh, which is in the Pendulum Hotel. It's on the nineteenth and twentieth of uh, October and uh, tickets uh, well they're, they're, you can give a donation for tickets or they can be completely free it's whatever you think you can spare so that's you know we want to keep it open to everyone but we just want to get as many people together and have a you know a celebration of, of uh, open source and, and all the kind of crazy goodness that's around that yeah so the 19th and 20th of October that's the Saturday and Sunday but there is kind of a, an unofficial social event on the Friday night isn't there that's a very good point, actually. Yeah. So uh, on the 18th, which is the Friday, there will be a party in the hotel. I think it's about seven o'clock onwards uh, in the uh, in the main hotel. There's a bar there, and we've got some. There's food available. You can order food, and you can have drinks and stuff. And I know it's October, but there's a really nice courtyard outside, and um, it's got like nice outside seating and stuff. So fingers crossed. I know in Manchester it rains a lot, but fingers crossed it's not going to rain and it won't be freezing, and we'll be able to spread out into that as well and have a really good kind of a good get together. Well, I remember. Uh, a few years ago up the road in Liverpool and that was at Halloween and I was walking around in a t-shirt it was lovely weather so fingers crossed you never know Mm, you never know. That's very true. Um, if uh, we pe- tickets are available now, as I said, so I should give you the address, shouldn't I? If you go to ogcamp.org, O-G-G-C-A-M-P dot org, um, there's a link on there for tickets, and uh, you can easily, you know, sort all that sort of stuff out. And if anybody's interested in supporting the event, you know, sponsoring or anything like that, that's still up there as well. Uh, and you can find out about the schedule, and that'll be getting more stuff on there as we go along. It's gradually getting filled up. We're looking for crew now. There's all kinds of stuff on there. We're on Twitter as well. Camp and uh, Mastodon and various other things. If you search for Camp, it's quite a unique name, so it'll come up in many places. Yeah. So what should people expect there then from, well, I suppose let's start with the schedule track. What what should people expect there? Well, lots of um, interesting stuff coming up. As I said, we, we've got our, our kind of opening keynote this year is um, Andy Stanford-Clark from IBM. He's the CTO of IBM. Um, he, uh, he, he was largely responsible for uh, creating MQTT, which is this um, message, messaging protocol, which I'm sure your listeners will know better than I do, to be honest. But uh, yeah, for people use a lot uh, for reporting and messaging and stuff in in um, IoT and embedded Linux and, and just embedded software in general. So he's going to come talk about that. 
that and how that's changed and, and how the project that he created with Roger, uh, Roger Light will also be there, um, He how that's changed. Um, then we've got all kinds of stuff. On the Saturday, uh, there'll be a number of scheduled talks. We've got some stuff for beginners, um, introduction to Ubuntu. Uh, Anna is going to tell us her story about how she got into Ubuntu. Um, we've got other stuff there. Um, as you'll know, Joe, we've got the the podcast panel discussion uh, extravaganza <laughs> at the end there, which which you'll be... Uh, which is totally organised and completely final at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So that'll be fun. That's always fun. Um, and then there's a party on the Saturday night as well, because one of the big things about OddCamp, uh, which you can probably attest to, is that we do like to take our parties as seriously as everything else. Um, so we tend to have lots of social events around it. So there's another party in the evening. There's going to be a band playing, um, Dev Noll and the Colonel Panics, who are a Linux band, if you want to call them that. Um, they're uh, they're going to be playing and uh, in the, the, the main room and there's, there's the bar next door and there'll be more food and stuff uh, and on the Sunday actually I should mention we've got our fir- well actually on the Saturday we've got our first ever kids track as well which is nice so there's going to be stuff to do for if you've got family you can bring them along and um, we're going to have sessions uh, for kids we've got a special little kids room where some, there's going to be people putting on sessions like building little robots and doing cool stuff um, which will hopefully you know get the kids interested in technology and keep them entertained and there's an exhibition area we're going to have lots of um, various stuff going on in the exhibition area Hacker Public Radio are there and lots of other people I'm still booking that at the moment so if anybody listening has a project and they think they'd like to be uh, involved and they'd like to exhibit you can just uh, email contact at ogcamp.org and I'll I'll sort that out with you um, and uh, we can get you on the exhibition and then there's the open hardware jam which is going to be in the middle of the exhibition space as well there's going to be people doing again cool stuff with uh, making stuff with arduinos and micro bits and raspberry pis and all that sort of stuff which should be cool and then on the sunday we've got our first so we're linking up with an event called floorcon which was a uh, security and open source event due to happen in huddersfield which sadly was cancelled and then we kind of said do you want to come and do a room, you know, run one of the rooms for us during the day so there's going to be I don't know what their content is yet but it's going to be lots of security based talks and they've got some speakers lined up as well which I'll I'll publish on the website as soon as I find out more um, and then this and all ends with the fabulous raffle cast which goes on for which goes on for a while usually where we give away all <laughs> the prizes that we've got and uh, and then on the Sunday night um, I suspect a few people will still be around on the Sunday night so there'll be a few people in Manchester hanging around for probably food and, and drinks and stuff before we all crawl off to wherever we're from on the Monday. And it is also an on-conference, isn't it? So if anyone turns up wanting to speak, then there's a chance that they will be able to. They should be able to, yeah. So that's a really good point, actually. I, sh- I should highlight that. If um, if, you, if you have a topic that you want to talk about, and actually something that we're trying to do this year as well, which we haven't done in the past, is... Um, so um, Lorna's in charge of the schedule, and she's much more organized than, than I am. And she came up with a great idea, which was to have um, suggested topics. So if you're listening and you think, oh, I'd love to see a talk about... Uh, git for example but uh, i don't know if there'll be one you can we're gonna have a call for like topics so someone can say i want to see a talk about git somebody else can go oh, i actually know a bit about git i could probably do that um and then we can kind of put those things together and hopefully build the kind of you know uh, the content that people actually want to see and get involved in and i think lorna's also going to do some if you're nervous about talking and you haven't done it before she's going to run a couple of webinar sessions during uh, september um helping people to get used to talking she's an excellent speaker and she's going to give some tips on how you can do you do you know feel comfortable do you talk and get the most out of it all right cool and there's usually lightning talks as well for people who want to just kind of dip their toes in there will be yeah i should mention that that's on the saturday i think on the main stage there's five minute ish talks usually yeah 
Well, I'll be there. You'll be there. It sounds like it's going to be excellent fun. So uh, again, plug the URL for it. Yeah, uh, go to ogcamp.org. That's O-G-G-C-A-M-P.org. And all the information's on there quick plug for you then yeah if anyone wants to find out what i'm up to you can go to uh, best place probably twitter actually which is at method dan or danlynch.org which is where my main website and you can find all the various podcasts and things that i do on there nice one well thanks a lot for coming on the show dan no problem anytime and that panel they mention will be recorded and released in our extras.show feed. Oh, boy. Yeah. So if you want to catch that and you can't make it, we'll try to make that panel available because we have that avenue now. Oh, yes, we do. So, my friends, we are gathered here today to discuss Bitwarden. We all know that a password manager in 2019 is a must-do. I've tried them. Um gone back to LastPass, and I decided I was going to hang out and wait at LastPass until my subscription expired, which... It expired this month, and I have no intention of renewing it. So this is something that's been on my radar. You kind of have to move. You've been a KeePass user yeah, for a long time. For a long time. I mean, I've already, you know, I always had sort of syncing infrastructure set up anyway, and I don't, you know, it's I read a whole bunch and hardly ever write to this thing. So for a long time, it was fine to just sort of sync it around and access it when I needed to. But I just have more and more passwords now. Mm-hmm. I thought. You know, it's been a while since I've tried something else. For me, too, sharing my passwords with all of you on the team has right. become much more of a thing. Um, yeah, it's okay, like, you know, once or twice if you give someone your account password, but that does not scale. Well, they're not really my passwords anymore. Mm-hmm. They're the team's passwords. I just have them in my database. And so I need, like, a team password database as well, but I still want it to be secure. I want us to host it because of the sensitivity of this. And we want it to work with mobile. We want it to have autofill. And I really was just sort of, without really saying anything, observing everyone just switching to Bitwarden. And you were the last domino to fall now. Mm-hmm, right. And you switched over the weekend. And I was like, okay, this is time for us to talk about it. So, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce you to Bitwarden. It is developed by Kyle Spearin. Kyle is the primary contributor to the project, but it is an open source project. It debuted in August of 2016. It does have mobile applications for iOS and Android, including an F-Droid store version of it. And it has browser plugins for your common browser platforms. You can use their hosted version or you can self-host it. And there is their version you can self-host, which they make available as Docker images. And then there's also a community-compatible version server-side written in Rust. Yeah, I mean, so if you look at, uh, and we'll have links, of course, in the doc to all of this stuff, um, you can run it just just like they do, you know, up up in the cloud, but that's going to be like a whole, a whole bunch of database containers and a few other things. It's also based on .NET technology, which isn't always the most familiar to Linux users. So there is a community-maintained Rust server implementation that is yeah. kind of geared at, you're not bi- building a whole big infrastructure for many people, you're just hosting it yourself. So we'll get to that, because I, I had a chance to play around with that. Um, and you also, then, like I mentioned, have the option to just use their services. Their infrastructure, from my understanding, seems pretty solid. They encrypt before they send it up to their server, so they just have an encrypted blob. Their systems run on Azure, so you have the security that of the Azure platform be at what it is, probably pretty good. And on, on top of all of that, the best people could get, even if they compromise the servers, would just be that encrypted blob sitting in a SQL database somewhere. And Alex, so you elected to use their hosted infrastructure. I'm sure you've played with the uh, self-hosted one too. What do you like about using the hosted version? For me, it's some, a password manager is something that has to have 100% uptime. I know that's not a realistic goal 
for a self-hosted service because I'm not a data center, right? But the thing is, for me, um, you know, particularly over the last 12 months, whilst I was emigrating, I didn't have a great way to run, uh, unless, of course, I spun it up on a droplet or something. Um, I didn't have a great way to run this locally. And for me, you know, I think it's $12 a year or something. Uh, that cost a, a buck a month is is fine for the service it provides. I've, I've been extremely happy with the experience as a Bitwarden user. And a lot of the integrations um, that you can get on Android, like autocomplete and stuff like that, are pretty nice. Um, you can do Control-Shift-L in a browser, and that will auto-fill the, the um, form entries on a page for you if you've unlocked your vault and stuff. So, I mean, I'm a very happy user. I've been using it for well over a year at this point. I think it's it's sort of set up by default to use the hosted service when you go to log in. Mm-hmm. And if you were going to throw it up on a VPS, you're probably better off using their hosted solution. For me, what was critical is I wanted it behind my LAN because of the nature of this. I just And if it's not available, that just means somebody on the team can't log into a service they have to. It's probably not the end of the world. Um, and I'm so I'm willing to run it on a box that could have 99 point. 5% uptime for the year. Right, we can make arrangements too, you know, with backups and spinning up new servers True. if we have to. So um, it's really kind of your choice. It, you know, you you have the option. I like having the self-hosted option, and it's always a balance. Sometimes it makes more sense to use their infrastructure. I think that line for something like this is, if you already have several things you're running on a box, and so you just have a machine that you are routinely keeping up to date and secure and following best mm-hmm. practices, you're probably a good candidate to self-host this particular software. If you would just be spinning up something that would be set off in the corner that you would have to remember to log into and make sure it stays up to date and it could be easily neglected, probably not a good candidate to host something like your password database. Right. And you might also consider, you know, in, in this case, that it, you know, it is all available open source. So you might think of it as just a way to sort of fund that development if you, and you also get a nice service out of it, you know? One other thing to consider as part of this, should I self-host it, should I use the hosted version, is... What happens if your internet goes out in your house? You know, you have all of the passwords for everything in this uh, database, and suddenly, okay, I can't log into Amazon right now. I can't buy this pot of dog food that I need to buy. Okay, well, I'll just go to Walmart instead. But there are other things that are more important that I need passwords for. And if my internet's out for half a day for some reason, thanks AT and T, then you know, I need to have access to these things. So for me, it's it's worth the price of admission. I think it's worth mentioning, too, that the software provides some pretty handy functionality outside of passwords. It'll offer secure credit card information storage and address book and secure note storage. Mm, it's just nice to have some organization kind of all in one place for that. And so um, to answer your question about offline, so last night, just to see how far I could push things, I decided to do a bunch of crazy stuff. And the way I was able to do this safely was I used a tool called Podman, but it's also available as a Docker image. And I Podman installed or pulled down the Bitwarden Rust implementation, set up something that only works on localhost. So I just go to localhost on my laptop, and I was able to play with all kinds of crazy features, like importing large swaths of my password database into a team database without risking actually exposing passwords (laughs) and stuff. And the entire thing worked offline. I connected uh, my uh, the mobile version of my phone to my laptop, and I was able to connect the uh, uh, Chrome extension to the the local version on my laptop, and it all worked beautifully. 
really know, like you could run, if you just wanted something on your laptop all the time that only listened to localhost, it would, it works great. Or if you want something that only works on your LAN and so you sync to your mobile device when you're on your LAN, you can absolutely do that. Um, I, that's not, I want off, I want like mobile access too, but for experimenting, it was so nice to know that I could have this sort of, Safety of it only is accessed by local host. Right. Yeah. Like whatever I do on this is only on local host. It won't go anywhere else. And if it's a failed experiment, well, you just blow it away. Did you mess around with uh, the Rust version as well, server side, when you did look at self hosting? Uh, yes, I did. And what were your what was your reasons for going with the community implementation versus the main project release? Uh, I just kind of wanted to experiment and see how well it compared because I'd been using the upstream. You know, I'm using their hosted service as well at the moment and. That is using the other version, so I wanted to see how you know how much they matched. If it felt like the same experience, and so far, yeah, I mean, it really does. Now, if you do want to play with the other one, they've got a some instructions for manually getting all the right containers set up because it's kind of a bunch, and mm-hmm. they they hook into Docker Compose to get it set up. I would suggest if you want to play with that, maybe just allocate a new virtual machine or, or VPS somewhere because um, it kind of wants to do a whole bunch of things. Yeah, that's why I liked the community implementation. It's one single... It's just simpler, right? It's aimed at like a smaller deployment just yes. for kind of running something small for yourself, and it's smoother to do so. And once it's up and running, you just go to the web URL, and you've got the administration front end right, then, right there, and all the software clients can connect to that. And it's very straightforward if you use the community Rust version. One thing I'd like to point out is with the community version, they have a big disclaimer that says, whichever client you're using, do not use the official support channels. Come here first. Yeah, yeah. There's always that aspect of it. That's true. Um, and as far as Bitwarden itself, it recently, um, well, not, I think it was about a year ago, almost, it did a, they, they went through an audit and um, they found a few things, fixed those things. We'll have a link to the information about that. So it has been audited by a third party as well. Even though it is a fairly new project, it seems really good. And it really does seem um, like it's, what I like about it is it's just absolutely everything I need and not much more. The team management stuff's just the right amount. The being able to autofill the credit cards or address information and store different profiles and identities, mm-hmm. that's just right. The mobile apps are functional. They support some offline caching if you don't have a connection. Right. Yeah, it looks like it looks like it's read-only. Like you, I'm not sure you can add new Mm-mm. entries, but Mm-mm. that's all right with me. Yeah, you still get read-only access. Yeah, so, so be aware of that. But you're right, it's, it's almost stupidly easy to get to. I, you know, I was looking at the docs for the show, and I'd just run the app image that they provide, but it's also, of course, packaged, and you know, it's flat packs and snaps, and you basically, it'd be hard not to find it on your platform at this point. Yeah. And the web, you know, the web interface works great too. Mm-hmm. Very nice. So what I'm getting from this is that I could actually use this to store my Apple Card credentials since I can't carry it in my wallet or my pants, right? Oh, too soon, Cheesy. That too- would be a great workaround, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of want to take the temperature of the mumble room. Uh, Popey, I saw you in there. Are you using any password managers? Have you tried out Bitwarden or LastPass? Yep, I uh, exported everything out of LastPass and chucked it in Bitwarden a while ago. Um, it's great. I love it. There's not much more to say. <laughs> no, it just works, right? It's just simple and straightforward right, and exactly. clean. Mm-hmm. I did an export as well, and there's a, I'll link to a guide. There's just a couple of notes. Uh, it doesn't directly import the file like it does for other password managers. There's an extra step, but I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And uh, yeah, it just it just totally works. Really. On kind of in a unremarkable, remarkable way. And their organizational functionality is perfect, exactly what I needed to, to securely share passwords with the team. And we have it hosted in a way that the team can get access to it, but it's not publicly accessible. Um, pretty happy with the end result. And I, I think the last time I tried to switch, switch away from LastPass, it was a total mess. 
And so I, I, I tried this process a couple of times. And I will warn you, if you have sketchy connectivity when you do the import of your LastPass database, for some reason it will import all of the passwords, but it will drop all the folders. If that happens, you can essentially eject the entire password database and re-import again. So if the first time you import and you don't get your folders that you all have set up in LastPass, just drop it all and import again, it will bring them in. In like three or four times that I did this, that happened to me once. Yeah, interesting. But I did a little Google search, and other people say it happens, and they say it's when you have intermittent connectivity, and I did at that time. Because it's like it's going out to resolve the favicons and stuff, and when that uh, process dies, I guess it just doesn't create the folders or whatever. I didn't go any further than that, but it seemed to be the case, so keep an eye out for that. But otherwise, love it. Yeah, I was I was pleased. I had several different versions and generations and types of keypass files from the different clients I'd used over the years, and all of them just sort of imported fine. And the client version for Linux, the desktop application, is a available as a snap and as a flat pack and app image yep and an app image and it's sandboxed i believe as both snap and flat pack i They're, believe so they yeah. are and sandbox so that's nice and safe for a password manager they've also got um a little cli it is node based so it's not the most lightweight but they've got a little handy cli client to interact with the vaults too yeah that's, that's right i wanted to mention that part because that is actually pretty cool it's nerd friendly right but it also kind of is good enough to work for your family members if you're going to go that route we will have a link, again, in the show notes, linuxunplug.com slash 316, to an article I used where it's a one-line command that you copy and paste, and you can fire up an experimental container and play with this thing. It's, we're not talking like it's a big investment. Really a big, high recommendation of Bitwarden from the team. I've been using it now for just a couple of days, but it was smoother than any other transition I've ever done, so I have pr- I have a pretty optimistic. And you're using it, Alex is using it. I'm picking up a theme here. Chris is a little resistant to change, but once he does, he's like, oh my God, this is so much better. As long as it is good, you know, yeah. it's got to meet all the, the various needs. KeyPass just Fisher. didn't do it for me because for KeyPass, I then needed to rely on either Dropbox or Sync thing. It's just, there was all this extra stuff to it that didn't work for me. But this, this solves those problems. I was really sad to see LastPass be acquired and, you know, the, the general posture of that, you know, acquisition didn't sit right with me. And, you know, finding Bitwarden was like an oasis in the desert at that point. And I, I'm really happy to see how this project has matured over the last couple of years. It's, it's, it's great. Now, if you're curious about their types of encryption that they use and whatnot, they have that explained too. I'll have a link to that in the show notes and also a link to the audit that they went through. So you can give that a read. It's always good to be paranoid about these kinds of things. So we definitely encourage being paranoid when it comes to your mm-hmm. password manager. So check out, we've tried to really pack the show notes full of links to, to help everybody who's doing some research. But I, we're really good recommendation. If it's, if there's something wrong with it, we're all screwed at this point. Cause I'm putting our team passwords in there. Uh-oh. Watch out. I do have one question about Bitwarden. Does it also support like uh, secure notes and stuff? That are you know similar to the feature set that LastPass yep. has. Secure notes, secure autofill. Um, it also can do a two-factor too if you enable Sweet. those features. And I did. I turned on two-factor using Authy. It was really straightforward and simple, and uh, took me two minutes maybe at most using even just my local installation. I didn't have to. It seems when you install it locally, it. It has identified you as like a paid pro user because my stuff in my menu says pro user stuff. Oh, maybe because I'm using the free implementation. Right. But either way, uh, yeah, really nice, smooth two-factor process. I'm like, okay, well, that's just great. Like LastPass is kind of clunky. Uh-huh. You got to go through uh-huh. some, some yeah, process. I've, I've yeah. never seen you complain about that. <laughs> yeah. Is anyone familiar with um, any hardware um, sticks that you can use with this? Is it compatible? I imagine it is. It would be a... Fairly standard feature, but anyone have any experience with that? 
believe it works with the YubiKey, and there's a few others that I'm not as familiar with. Um, so that's definitely a route you can go. It can, although I don't really like to recommend it, also do two-factor via email. I think that's a bit of a stinker. And it can also do some recovery code stuff. So there's some nice stuff to dig into there. It seems like the, the project has some really good plans down the road for that area as well. But uh, I think, I know it's a bit of a compromise, but I, the thing that I really appreciate about Authy is I, is cross-platform, and I can move between devices and not lose my two-factor tokens. That, right. Uh, and so it's just that bit of compromise between something that isn't absolutely as secure as like an RSA token, but, or, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Or something that, but it isn't something that is just as dumb as like SMS text or email. Yeah. It's like, and it's, of course, I mean, if you're not, you know, if something's not too unworkable, you're not going to use it and that's not getting you any security wins. Right. So the nice thing about Authy is it lets you have all of your two-factor services in one spot and it, synchro- it synchronizes them across your devices. And it's like if you lose a phone or you switch devices and you forget to back up your two-factor stuff, you're not SOL. And so the fact that it works with that, it works with my workflow. I'm not necessarily recommending it for everybody, but it is really nice. Now we have some feedback to get to. We don't do that too often in the show, but we just had some great notes on the subreddit from uh, our Wayland episode. We spent the weekend with Wayland and uh, got some good feedback. Uh, he says, you guys talked about Tylex. This is uh, the hoot. <laughs> Spelled with threes and zeros. Uh, he says, you talked about Tylex, but I still recommend Quake. It's very stable. It supports split windows these days. It does. Um, and he thought he'd also mention backup tools. He doesn't like to trust companies like Google, Microsoft, or Amazon with any data, but Spider Oak One, I have to recommend, he says. Also, it was recommended by Edward Snowden. Also... Mr. Poot, I've recommended it too. I was going to say, yeah, weren't you? You didn't yeah. used to be a big Spider Oak mm-hmm. fan? To, I used to back up all my different like cloud services to Spider Oak. I might do it again. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. Spider Oak's pretty solid. Anyways, oh, he signs it as Guybrush, which is much easier to read than uh, the other one. And our last bit of feedback, one tune more writes, uh, the Wayland future is like electric cars are the future. That's kind of, I mm-hmm. like this. Uh, for, for a very long time, they were good in theory. But recently... They've been good for some uses. Now they're starting to be good for the masses. I think we said something similar in the show. He writes, uh, what Wayland is, Wayland being smooth really means that Mutter has become really smooth. Since that's Gnome Shell's compositor, Mutter has to implement everything which Xorg used to do. So when you guys are talking about Wayland being smooth, you're really talking about Gnome Shell being smooth, which is a fair point. Mm-hmm. And it's something they're working on. Um, he writes, I'm predicting Mirror is going to be a huge deal in a few years. They are working with projects on standardizing protocols, for example, adopting a layer shell protocol from WL Roots and permitting shells built with Mirror to add protocols as extensions. Going forward, I predict new compositors and desktops will choose Mirror or WL Roots to build on, depending on whether they want to write a plugin for a pre-built display server like Mirror or control their own window management rules and behavior like WL Roots. Mir is going to be a big part of a lot of projects' futures, he says. Right, I think that's spot on. For a lot of projects that have to implement... Uh, right, you need, you need some helper framework because there's a lot to implement now. Today I saw news about the next release of XFCE, which is expected in a year, and they're already saying no GTK, no Wayland. No GTK4, I should say, and no Wayland. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's not too surprising. Um, also, interesting technical detail about Flameshot. 
the, that was our screenshot tool that we recommended that we all really like. It doesn't actually use the Wayland protocol. It works with KD and Gnome Shell using Dbus for communication. Yeah, and they are clear about that. If you go look at the Flameshot docs, it's right. basically like, well, the, these two big guys gave us hooks. We're going to use them because it makes our stuff work. That's what that means is that's, that's your limitation. Yeah, yeah. So he says uh, it'll be quite a while before we see the dust settle on all this Wayland stuff. Hey, it's an active project, right? Yeah, if you if you didn't catch our episode, we spent the weekend with Waylon last weekend. Uh, I actually am still using it on my on my laptop. I over the weekend very proudly played some No Man's Sky using Proton on Wayland using an eGPU with a Bluetooth headphones and a Bluetooth mouse. I think you have to be clear at this point. You did that on Linux. Yeah, I did. And the only downside is my Bose headphones, they convert to phone mode when you use voice. And so I sounded like I was on a telephone call from 1920. But that wasn't Linux's fault. Yeah, no, no. And you probably sounded pretty good. Chris did a whole bit where he was 1938 World's Fair, Chris. It was very funny. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It really was great. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but that was the only downside. I mean, we played No Man's Sky for a long time, uh, and I didn't have a single issue. I mean, this is one, one eGPU cable into my laptop which only has Intel graphics, on Wayland playing a, a, a Windows game, <laughs> okay? Using a Bluetooth mouse without leg, with Bluetooth headphones, where the sound is matched up with the gunfire. That's crazy. I can't even with that. We played for almost three hours or so. Flawlessly. I played flawlessly. You were playing on top of Wayland <laughs> and never crashed, but I think Drew was had a different setup and had crashed a couple of times. So I wonder what the difference there was. He has a slightly nicer AMD card than I have, and he seems to have all of the issues. He has a lot of problems. <laughs> I wonder if it's just a support thing there on the AMD card then. Maybe. I kind of cheaped out. I got like a I got like a mid-range card since I figured it's in a, it's in an eGPU, right? So why go like top of the line? Um and it's just been super solid. The only downside is there's there's this AMD reset bug. So when the machine goes to sleep or anything like that to get the eGPU working again, I have to completely power down, physically power off the eGPU, and then power everything back up before my eGPU works again. It's just like the old days of pass through that. You used to have to do that with every single video card, never mind just a few specific ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's some ways you can fix it depending on the type of uh, ROM that's on your card and all that. But. Sell it and buy the right card. That's the answer. Oh, yeah? There is a specific card where I won't even have to mess with it? Just find one that doesn't have the reset bug. And mm-hmm. you know, as we talked about in our VFIO episode a little while ago, the right hardware is almost more important than the right software. Really is truly remarkable that that whole stack's working, though. And, you know, it's using X-Wayland in there to, to play the game right. and all that. It's just mind-blowing. I want to share a pick before we go. USB top. It's like the top utility we all know and love, but it shows an estimated instantaneous bandwidth on your USB buses and devices. So you can see who's hogging up all them USB bandwidths. How neat is this? That is neat. I gave it a little compile before the show. Mm -hmm. It seemed like maybe it's packaged in some repositories, but it wasn't available to me that way. It was easy to compile, and uh, it does exactly what it says. You You just sort of check, and you run it up, and then it shows you you all your different buses and devices on them, and then if there's any activity. You do have to do a bit of legwork. You do. And you have to mod probe USB mod. Like all that kind of stuff. You had to do all that, I imagine. Indeed. Yeah, but once you get it going, uh, you don't even need to run it as root necessarily. As long as you're on like a more modern Linux, you can just run USB top, boom, there's all your bandwidth hogs. It's pretty fun. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Good luck because, yeah, it's, you know, six months ago it was active. 
But I think the core code is about six years old. So good luck. Travel safely. But we believe in you. We'll have a link in the show notes for that as well. USB top. How about that? And I think it's really cool, too, for uh, those little single board computers where everything's on one bus. So if you are building a NAS with a single board computer, you can actually kind of measure that throughput and know, uh-huh. you know if you're getting enough throughput or if that's your uh, bottleneck. This is amazing. I'd never seen this before. And it's in Ubuntu, apt install, USB, top. Jeez, come on, West Penn. What are you running over there? Aren't you running Ubuntu? Yeah. You, did, you didn't have to build it. You just did it. <laughs> You're so funny. I didn't check because I'm on I don't. The, I mean, the search doesn't find it. Uh, but maybe I typed the wrong thing. Maybe Popey knows how to Ubuntu better, though. That's, I'm sure it's, he does. It's possible. I hope so. It's possible. Well, it's good to have you back, Popey. And you didn't get a sunburn, did you? Nope. Not at all. Didn't go outside. You didn't go outside. I know. That's false. It's too damn hot outside. I'm not going outside. You can't help it. I I got a sunburn walking from the hotel across a parking lot to a Mexican restaurant in Texas last time. Just the 10 minutes back and forth, I got a sunburn. I, I'm blessed with slightly darker skin than you, though, Chris, so it does, I don't tend to get burned. You're blessed in many ways, Popey, but uh, that's Aww. for another show. Anyways, go check out Ubuntu Podcast and User Air, two great shows. And while you're at it, if you're on Telegram, go get Telecast with Popey, recently co-starring the one the only Martin Wimpress from... America's friendliest airport. Go check that out. It's great. Popey, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Everybody out there, thank you for joining us. I am so elated to announce the self-hosted podcast. Again, don't forget our meetup, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. If you're in the Lexington area, come join us. And then check out selfhosted.show slash subscribe for the RSS feed. I should be live from Raleigh next Tuesday. So come see if I can pull that one off. We'll see you back here next Tuesday. So here's the it's just not an 1804. Newer versions Uh, have it. (laughs) All right, you're off the hook, Wes. So, Chris, what's this uh, relationship thing we were going to post show? Oh, yeah, right. Well, I mean, it really does. I don't know. Like, okay, for example, I'm about to get on an airplane and fly down to Raleigh. Then we're going to get in a car and drive for seven hours to go do something. Like, a new show is very much like. Kind of like a, a, a polyamorous relationship where you've already got a couple of wives and now you've got to work a new wife into the, or husband, or husband, right. into the mix. Well, you got to be fair, but you still have to, you know, sort of prioritize. Right. There's a lot of things to well, juggle. Well, that's true. Cause then I, I sit here and I think to myself, am I spending enough time with Linux Unplugged? And now I've got yeah, this. Don't leave us over here. This new show I'm doing, you know, like it's gosh, a lot of pressure. And, We're a very jealous show. And, and the truth be told, like I, I know that a new show needs a lot, a little bit extra of attention and it's just a lot to take on. And I've got to be there when I'm sick. I've got to be there when I'm healthy. I've got to be there in tough and bad and hard and good times. Like it's, it is a different form of a relationship. But yeah, some some weeks you won't have content. You won't know what to do, but you'll have to struggle through. And you stick you stick with it. You stick with it. And it, it's it sounds silly, <laughs> but in it's so many ways, there's a lot of analogies. And so when I'm like really 
getting committed to something, I freak out a little bit. I freak out just not that I have commitment issues. Obviously I'm married, uh, <laughs> but I just kind of like, I actualize the amount of commitment I am making because this thing could go on for a decade. Can I, uh, can I pull out at this point? Is that an option? I know my freaking you out. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> We're all in now, buddy. We're all in. I've already bought my tickets and I'm headed your way. I'm getting on a plane to London tonight. <laughs> 